There's one train that goes to San Francisco, but it's a little slower than the one you want. There's one other train leaving, but it's not going to San Francisco. It's going to hell. <laughs> All aboard. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast to 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And yes, coast to coast and around the world on the streaming on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another thrilling action-packed adventure. As usual, Desi Doyen is uh, our producer, is at our side. How are you, Desiree? Yes, I'm, I'm doing okay. All right, hang All on, right. buckle up. I know. Uh, coming up, the uh, Bernie Sanders revolution is still at a crossroads, at least for some. And how will and how should Sanders supporters, his most uh, uh, fervent supporters, move forward this November? Most of them seem to be on record right now supporting the Democratic nominee, Hillary Clinton, as Sanders has requested. But there are still a number of hardcore burners out there trying to figure out how to proceed. We will discuss that today with Ernest A. Canning, who recently penned Revolution at a crossroad at bradblog.com. He's also our legal analyst, at uh, long-serving legal analyst at bradblog.com, who covers uh, voting rights issues. We're going to talk to him about that as well momentarily. We've been talking a lot about uh, voting rights over the past week or so uh, and election concerns about the elections, the electoral system and everything else. We've seen a lot of really good and encouraging voting rights decisions in a whole bunch of states, about six different states, uh, at least over the past two weeks or so, uh, Texas, Wisconsin, North Carolina, uh, what am I forgetting here? Uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, North Dakota. Uh, there's so much good news that I've lost track of where it's all happening. How often does that happen on the broadcast? Nonetheless, this item in from uh, last night, the president of the National Association for the Advancement of Color Pe Colored People, the NAACP, was arrested on Monday after staging a sit-in at the Roanoke office a Virginia Congressman Bob Goodlatte to, de to demand a hearing on the Voting Rights Act, which was signed into law 51 years ago on Saturday. Cornell Brooks, the NAAC, uh, NAACP president, and Stephen Green, 
National Director of the group's Youth and College Division were arrested shortly after the congressman's office closed at 5 p.m. on Monday. He said, uh, Green said in an email that the men were charged with trespassing, a misdemeanor, and then they were released. Officers with the Roanoke Police Department had allowed the protest to continue throughout the day and then returned after the uh, offices were closed and arrested Brooks and Green when they refused to leave. Nearly 30 protesters occupied the Republicans' office on Monday morning, demanding that Goodlatte, as chairman of the U.S. House Judiciary Committee, convene a hearing on the Voting Rights Act. Earlier in the day, Brooks spoke to The Guardian uh, in a phone call from the office, said people bled, sweat, sweated, and died for the right to vote. Why can't Congress conduct a hearing on the right to vote? All we're asking for is a hearing. It's not radical, he said. Indeed, for uh, more than 50 years, the Voting Rights Act has stood as one of the most important legal achievements of the 1960s civil rights era. In 2013, however, the U.S. Supreme Court struck at the heart of that 1965 law in a 5-4 decision that allowed nine states, mostly in the South, to make changes to electoral rules without approval from federal authorities in Washington. Nonetheless, in a string of legal victories last month in Texas, Wisconsin, North Carolina, ah, Kansas, that was the one I forgot, and North Dakota, courts uh, have ruled against voter ID and proof of citizenship laws, striking them down or weakening them. And those rulings were seen as a sweeping victory for the voting rights activists and the U.S. Department of Justice, which had challenged the restrictive laws, according uh, to the, um, who is this? The, uh, oh, a press release put out by the NAACP. So uh, the fight to fix what the U.S. Supreme Court broke in the Voting Rights Act continues, and the Republicans in Congress continue to refuse to even hold a hearing to discuss it. Nonetheless, in North Carolina, now that a federal court has struck down the worst voter suppression law in the nation, uh, by far since the uh, since uh, the Jim Crow era, uh, getting rid of uh, cuts that Republicans had made in North Carolina to early voting, to same day registration, uh, new uh, photo ID restrictions, uh, all sorts of stuff. Uh, right now, those uh, provisions have been cut down after the Fourth Circuit Court found that they targeted African Americans with almost surgical precision. Unquote. That's what the appellate court found. So now counties around the state are trying to figure out uh, in the 90 or so days that we have left before the general election how they are going to uh, deal with rolling back the uh, the new law that had been put in place for a number of elections. And we talked a little bit yesterday about um, Guilford County. Uh, North Carolina, which is where Greensboro was, which is where the original uh, Woolworths sit-in took place back in 1960 when uh, four African-Americans sat down to order, were uh, refused, uh, they would not serve them. It led to months of, uh, of demonstrations in Greensboro and eventually um, desegregation of the Woolworth lunch counter, and it really kicked off the uh, the civil rights movement in the 1960s. Well, in Greensboro County, the two Republicans on the Guilford uh, Guilford County Board of Elections 
uh, now that the statewide law has been struck down, it's fallen to the counties to figure out how they're going to do uh, early voting, how long the early voting period is going to be before the elections. And in the old days, they would have had not the really old days. Uh, but since the Voting Rights Act in 1965, those counties would have had to get uh, clearance from the federal government for changes to their voting laws. Now they don't have to anymore. Now they can do anything they want. And now, uh, since it's up to the counties again, instead of that state law, which has been st essentially struck down, uh, the counties are looking at themselves limiting early voting, as uh, we discussed yesterday in Guilford County, Greensboro. Uh, well, the good news here is that the Greensboro, uh, uh, the Guilford County Board of Elections met in Greensboro and there was such a good turnout. So many folks uh, uh, came out, according to Democracy North Carolina's executive director, Bob Hall. Uh, he put out a statement late, late yesterday saying we are reminded today that everyone benefits when a community mobilizes to stop a discriminatory rollback of voting rights. People filled the meeting room. And their spirit and energy carried the day. And indeed, the Republican attempt to shut down early voting sites at a number of universities, including A&T University, which is where those students who uh, protested at Woolworths so many years ago in the 1960s uh, to, to shut down a site, a polling site uh, that was serving there, that attempt has been pushed back despite the two to one majority that Republicans had on that uh, on that board of elections. That thanks to people turning out, speaking, participating in their democracy, paying attention to these provisions. This is how elections are won and lost on the ground by citizens, by observers and so forth. And this is happening, by the way, now all over uh, North Carolina as they figure out how to uh, uh, you know, properly roll back from that uh, from that statewide law. Uh, we saw a similar victory today in Wake County at the Wake County Board of Elections. Actually, this was late Monday. They, too, have decided to uh, to expand to to return early voting to the 17 days that it had been prior to this horrible Republican law in North Carolina, which restricted it down to 10. So. A lot of, I would say, encouraging news in North Carolina and elsewhere in the country here to talk about uh, this and some of these, uh, well, surprisingly uh, good pieces of news from over the past week, as well as about uh, Bernie Sanders is our friend. Ernest A. Canning, he is a he has served for many years as a legal analyst for us at Bradblog.com. He's a retired attorney, an author, Vietnam uh, veteran. He has uh, he hasn't been able to write much for us over recent months at Bradblog.com because he's been serving as a senior advisor to veterans for Bernie. But he's back more and more of late since Sanders' endorsement of Hillary Clinton and since the spate of encouraging voting rights rulings from all from courts, state and federal, all over the country in recent weeks. Uh, I hope to talk about both of those things today with Ernie. Ernie Canning, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. How you doing, Brad? I think I'm doing all right, uh, given all the pretty good news we've been seeing of late when it comes to so many of the issues that you and I both have been covering for a whole lot of years uh, at bradblog.com at this point. And it looks like, uh, guess what, Ernie? You were right on a lot of them, and the good guys, the voting rights advocates, are winning on a lot of them. What what existing challenges 
do you see that are out there that we still may need to be worried about uh, when it comes to voting rights between now and November, Ernie? Well, there, I, I think you had a, a guest on from the ACLU that said that these don't cover all of them. So, so there, there are a lot of remaining issues, uh, particularly in the jurisdictions where, uh, where these cases have not come down. Uh, they still have, for example, photo ID in Indiana, where mm-hmm. some people, not as many as, as the other states, are going to be uh, uh, denied their, their opportunity to vote because of that law, which is totally unnecessary. When it, the biggest issue, as I see it, is not so much the one immediately facing uh, the courts as it is uh, facing the electorate, and that's because a lot of this good news could be undone uh, if Donald Trump uh, wins in November and appoints uh, someone who would be another Antonin Scalia on mm. the court. Indeed, and we'll get into that, no doubt, in our uh, uh, Bernie section here in a moment. Can the Supreme Court screw up, as you can see, uh, any of these very encouraging decisions that have been made? Uh, the the most conservative appellate court in the land, the Fifth Circuit Court down in Texas, um, you know, forced uh, Texas to uh, at least weaken their photo ID restriction. Can any uh, can the Supreme Court screw up any of these encouraging? encouraging uh, rulings that have been made uh, between now and November as you see it, or are, uh, are, are these uh, good rulings pretty much baked in the cake at this point? Well, I mean, there's always the potential for them to issue a stay given uh, of these really good rulings like the one in North Carolina. Um, I doubt seriously that they will, and one of the reasons why we had so many of these cases come down when they did was that I think the appellate courts or in some of the cases the district courts were trying to come in with their decision in sufficient time so that they don't run afoul of the Purcell principle of this notion that the Supreme Court has adopted over recent years that if you make changes in, in election laws at the last minute that runs the risk of too much confusion at mm-hmm. the polls and they seem to think that's more important than people be losing their voting rights. Yes, 600,000 uh, potentially disenfranchised, legal, already registered legal voters in Texas uh, who might not be able to vote. But, uh, oh, the Purcell principle, we don't want to cause chaos, so let's just let those 600,000 uh, lose their vote. That's essentially what they've done in the past. Hopefully that it's going to be harder to do now, now that Scalia is dead and any such uh, decision to come to the court would probably be a 4-4 to tie. And I guess would go with the uh, therefore go with the lower court's ruling in favor of voters. Uh, Ernie Canning, uh, there's there's been you know a lot of these really huge victories in state and federal courts alike in at least six different states in these recent weeks. Many of those rulings, those federal court rulings, found that. Uh, these Republican voting restrictions were in violation of Section 2 of the Federal Voting Rights Act. Now, that section of the Voting Rights Act protects against racial discrimination at the voting booth in all 50 states, uh, but really only after the law has already been enacted, already been implemented, and it requires the challenger to those laws to, to demonstrate racial discrimination. Now, that's different from Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, which was largely gutted by the Supreme Court in 2013, that section, had it still been in play, would likely have blocked a lot of these laws that uh, you know we're now dealing with, would have blocked a lot of these laws before they went into effect. 
because it would have required preclearance from the uh, from the federal government in those state in those uh, jurisdictions with you know a history of of racial discrimination. Also, it would have required those jurisdictions to demonstrate that the new law was not discriminatory. So do I basically have that right before I get to my question? Am I explaining that correctly? And in fact, in the case of Texas, the the law had in fact been blocked by both uh, first by the uh, Department of Justice and and then by a unanimous three-judge U.S. District Mm -hmm. Court panel in the the District of Columbia. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had blocked it because there was no question but that that law would have a significant disparate impact on and retrogressive impact on the right of mm-hmm. um, African Americans and Hispanics to vote. Uh, in Texas, for example, you uh, people that were poor, didn't have a car, and didn't have a driver's license would ha- might have to travel up to 200 miles round trip to the nearest Department uh, of Public Safety to obtain the so-called free ID on a day when they were supposedly working and couldn't afford not to, to lose work in order to obtain the, the necessary photo ID. So when the court in District of Com- Columbia made it clear from day one that the Texas law uh, mm-hmm. uh, not only would not meet the criteria of, of Section 5, but they went on to say that it wouldn't meet Section 2. Well, it, it, that's right, and they str- it, they struck it down at the time, and the only reason that Texas was able to sort of re-implement it was because the Supreme Court had gutted Section 5, and then you had this really long uh, challenge under Section 2, which has been going on for years now. So here's my question for you, uh, Ernie. When Chief Justice John Roberts gutted that particular section of the Voting Rights Act, he did so by claiming that racial discrimination at the voting booth, while it still exists a little bit, it's nothing like it was back in 1965 when the Voting Rights Act was passed. He said that, you know, we don't need preclearance anymore for these laws. If there are discriminatory laws, they can be challenged under Section 2 in all 50 states. Therefore, we don't need to apply these special conditions uh, to these, you know, this uh, these few states with this history of discrimination. Well, all of these now successful challenges of late, Ernie, have been largely under Section two of the Voting Rights Act, finding these laws to be in violation of that section. So doesn't that prove that John Roberts was both right and wrong? In that, uh, A, there's a lot of racial discrimination clearly still going on. I mentioned the uh, uh, the Fourth Circuit in, in North Carolina found that law that had targeted African-Americans with surgical precision. So he's wrong. There is a lot of uh, racial discrimination going on. But also, isn't he right that, well, Section 2 apparently was sufficient to challenge all of those cases because it has now uh, succeeded in in striking them down. Well, actually, what these latest cases show is that they substantiate the blistering dissent. The, the case you're referring to where Robert said that was Shelby Kennedy versus Alabama versus Holder. Mm-hmm. And she took aim at the core assumption made by... Um, by the majority in that case, that the increases who's, in African-American who, voter who, participation during the period that Section 5 preclearance mandate was in effect, which is 1965 to 2013, suggested that preclearance was no longer needed. And who's, she, who's, she, who, who's she? Who are you talking about, Ernie? Uh, Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ah, in, okay, in the response, in, in the minority. In the Shelby County yeah. dissent, she said throwing out preclearance 
preclearance when it has worked and is continuing to work to stop discriminatory changes is like throwing away your umbrella in a rainstorm because you are not getting wet. I think the North Carolina decision is probably the most significant of the decisions because of the factual analysis. Uh, first, the court set forth that North Carolina that is racially polarized when it comes to voting. In other words, you can predict where somebody votes mm -hmm. based on whether they're African-American or white. And um, the interesting thing was they said that during that same period, 1980 to 2013, there were over 50 objection letters to proposed election laws in North Carolina that were filed by the DOJ. So there were mm -hmm. some 50 laws between 1980 and 2013 that would have been passed that were discriminatory, but Section 5 blocked them. And during that same period, private plaintiffs successfully pursued 55 successful mm -hmm. cases under Section 2. Mm -hmm. So the, the discrimination was there. The, the issue was that the law that was in place was working to prevent it from, from becoming law. And uh, what they did by gutting Section 5, I think I put in the, in the article I wrote that it was somewhat akin to unleashing a pack of race-conscious rabid dogs, and what happened here, what the telling feature of this case is, the legislature didn't just, you know, pass this law. And, and what they did was in each one of these comprehensive laws that they came out, it wasn't just photo ID, it was photo ID, early voting, all these things. They first got the statistics to find out how African Americans were affected. Mm -hmm. And in every case, when they uh, found that they were harmful to the African-Americans specifically, as opposed to whites, mm -hmm. uh, rather than try and assist in not violating their rights to vote, uh, as the court views it, they targeted them with surgical precision to deny their right to vote. They took that information on how it was that uh, the, the, the voters broke down as far as race and so forth, and they said, oh, okay, look, uh, black voters tend to vote on, on Sunday, early voting, souls to the polls days, so we're going to limit that, we're going to end that Sunday souls to the polls day. They knew in advance uh, they had this information, they requested this information, and then they used that specific information to keep uh, the African Americans from, uh, from, to make it harder for them to vote, correct? Well, that's correct, and let me give you something real specific because it applies to all these photo ID laws. The Republicans yeah. obtained data that showed that a disproportionate number of African Americans don't possess the, the narrowly approved uh, photo ID. Mm -hmm. They also learned that very few African Americans cast absentee ballots, whereas a comparative high percentage of white North Carolinians, uh, Carolinians vote absentee. And while there's instances of absentee voter fraud, the record revealed that there had never been a single prosecution in the state of North Carolina for in-person voter impersonation, which is the only type of fraud that can be prevented by polling place photo ideas. So what did they do? They saw fit, let's have strict photo ID for in-person only, At the and polling the predominantly place. white absentee voters yeah. were exempted from the photo ID mandate. Well, so uh, the absentee voters, no problem, no photo ID necessary. Yeah, we need to uh, fix that Voting Rights Act. So I, uh, I congratulate uh, and, and encourage the folks, uh, the NAACP folks and the others who are pressing Congress at this point uh, to try to at least have a hearing 
to restore the Voting Rights Act. Uh, Ernie Canning, uh, I want to take a quick break, and we're going to uh, turn the page a little bit here and uh, talk about your article at Brad Blog this week, Revolution at a Crossroad. What it is that, uh, you know, hardcore supporters of Bernie Sanders, what they should now do, what their options are as we head towards uh, November. So uh, let's take a quick break here. Ernie, stand by. We'll uh, we'll take a quick break and we will come back with that and much more here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so, now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going, or even just a one-time-only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. By taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com donate today. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Will Bernie Sanders supporters uh, burn down the house this November? Uh, there's a lot of them out there still trying to figure out how they should vote. Uh, many of them kind of mad at Bernie Sanders himself for endorsing Hillary Clinton. Here was uh, Bernie Sanders just a week or two ago uh, at the uh, Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia. I understand that many people are disappointed about the final results of the nominating process. I think it's fair to say that no one is more disappointed than I am. Our revolution continues. Election days come and go. This election is not about and has never been about Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders or any of the other candidates who sought the presidency. This election is about and must be about the needs of the American people and the kind of future we create for our children and our grandchildren. That was Bernie Sanders uh, speaking on the first night of the Democratic National Convention just a week or two ago in Philadelphia, calling on his supporters to vote for Hillary Clinton in order to keep the Sanders 
political revolution moving forward. Uh, Ernie Canning is still with us here. He is an attorney. He is a, uh, a veteran, a Vietnam veteran, and he's been working with the Veterans for Bernie group. He's been a senior advisor over there at VetsForBernie.org, which is why we haven't been able to enjoy much of uh, uh, Bernie, uh, Bernie, Ernie's work over the past year or so because uh, trying to avoid conflicts of interest. We cover elections at the uh, at Bradblog.com. And uh, so uh, to avoid writing about the presidential primary, he's been uh, he's been writing elsewhere at L.A. Progressive and at Vets for Bernie and so forth. But now now that the primaries are behind us, uh, Ernie wrote a. Uh, sort of a, a, a personal essay, in a sense, if you will, entitled Revolution at a Crossroad this week at Bradblog.com, where he went through the various options and uh, his, I think, recommendations for how Sanders voters should move ahead. Uh, Ernie, l- let's walk through the possibilities of uh, that you spelled out, the various possibilities for uh, strong, uh, I would say fierce uh, Sanders supporters like yourself, um, through the, the various possibilities that you guys are facing trying to figure out what to do in November. So the first one... Not voting at all. Not happy about Bernie Sanders uh, not being the uh, Democratic uh, nominee this year and just uh, sit, staying at home this year. Is is that a good possibility as you see it, Ernie Canning? Uh, actually, I think it would be a betrayal of the Sanders-led revolution because the entire focus of the Sanders movement is active participation in the political process. Uh, and the only way you're going to achieve uh, democratic accountability is going to be by participating in democracy. I have a quote from, that Sanders wrote over the weekend mm-hmm. for, in an op-ed at the L.A. Times. He says, I understand that many of my supporters are disappointed by the final results of the nominating process. Um, and he went on to say, but being uh, despondent and inactive is not going to improve anything. And I tend to agree with that. One of the reasons why we currently have uh, majorities in both houses of Congress is because so many people, 83% of the electorate, stayed home in November of 2014. If you want to accomplish all this stuff we've been talking about, voter suppression, if you want to accomplish the Republicans' goal without them having to spend so much time and effort, just stay home. And, uh, of course, they don't have to stay home. They can uh, still show up and vote for some of the other candidates. They can even uh, put in a a write-in candidate, I suppose. But there are other candidates on the ballots, at least in, uh, in most states, uh, and you go through uh, the major options, at least well, at the let moment. Let me back yeah. you up for a minute, because yeah, yeah. one of the things, the very first thing I put in here is that, and this has to do with a lot of the Sanders supporters that are screaming that the the nomination process was stolen and they have no hard evidence of it. I, I realize that there's, there's a dispute as to how val- valid some of these uh, statisticians' uh, analysis are regarding exit polls, but the one thing that's clear is the United States is not Austria. I don't know of any court in the land that would accept that kind of evidence and overturn an election, and you're really talking about not one presidential primary. You're talking about presidential primaries and caucuses in 50 states, in the District of Columbia and Mm -hmm. elsewhere. And on top of that, you'd have an issue if anybody actually filed a case 
uh, of timeliness because most election statutes require you to, if you're going to challenge the result of the election, to do it right away. So to talk about and complain about, well, gee, I, I'm, I'm going to sit this one out or I'm, you know, there's no way I'm going to uh, uh, vote for Hillary because I think the election was stolen, that's not going to get you anywhere because uh, there's not going to be a do-over. There's... So that's, that's the first thing people have to realize that, you know, to complain about that. I, first off, I don't think there's hard evidence of it, but even if there was, um, you're not going to overturn, they're mm. not going to redo the primary, so you can't go back. There you go. And well... you can't sit still, which is voting. So then the question is, do you turn to the extreme right, which is Donald Trump? I think that's unthinkable. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think... Uh, who you had on that, that said it would be a, a move towards madness and certainly would be involved in fascism. I think that's a betrayal of every every uh, soldier that died in World War II. To run the risk of a fascist Amer- America is, an, is, is, is just well, unthinkable. Well, but let, that is really the risk that you have with Donald Trump. Let me play uh, Bill Maher uh, had, a t- had, a, had a kind of a fun take on this. Do we have that available? To, uh, here, here was Bill Maher's thought on it. Uh, uh, and, and he was basically saying that he was sort of dismissing the idea of a third-party candidate and said, basically, you got two choices, and, uh, and here's the way he described it. You're on a train station. Yes. Right here in L.A. You want to go to San Francisco. There's a wedding up there. you got to get there. There's one train that goes to San Francisco, but it's a little slower than the one you want. There's one other train leaving, but it's not going to San Francisco. It's going to hell. <laughs> It's not going to hell. It's going to San Diego, which is a lovely city. But it's, n- but it's not where you want to go. You want to go to San Francisco. The only other train is going in the opposite direction. Do you get on the train that's going in the direction you want to go, but slower? Yeah, yeah. Or do you go to San Diego? So that was his, Bill Maher's argument to Cornell West, a huge uh, Bernie Sanders supporter, about, uh, yeah, Hillary Clinton may not be uh, Bernie Sanders, but at least she is going in the direction uh, that... Uh, that progressives and Sanders supporters wish to go versus Donald Trump going in the opposite direction towards, as you described, Bernie, uh, fascism. But it's not really a a choice of two. There are other candidates. So libertarian candidate Gary Johnson is one of them. You you describe him in your uh, in your piece. Why shouldn't Bernie Sanders supporters uh, vote for Gary Johnson? Well, I call that it's not a a progressive alternative. It's really an oblique turn to the right, not quite as far right as. uh, Mm -hmm. But the thing you have to understand about libertarian philosophy is that it it focuses exclusively on individual liberty versus the government and ignores or fails to appreciate uh, the dangers to uh, individual liberty posed by the tyranny of a corporate-controlled economy. Uh, one thing I, I, I know I pointed out that the 1980 candidate for the Libertarian VP spot was David Koch. Of David the Koch. Koch brothers. Yeah. But uh, beyond that, uh, there was a November 3, 2014 Mother Jones article called the Koch 130 that talked about all these think tanks and educational institutions that the libertarian operations that were funded by the, the Kochs and really gave them, uh, rise to the, the definition of the Koktopus. Uh, you've got places like uh, the Cato Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, the entire uh, libertarian spectrum uh, is really, um, uh, even though a lot of the supporters don't realize it, uh, is it, individual liberty without social responsibility 
knowingly or otherwise, is destructive of community and equitable economy and the environment. And let me just back up a minute to the, to the thing with Donald Trump. It isn't just that the train's going in the opposite direction. You, you talked about the cases we were just talking about. That could all be reversed if, if, mm-hmm. we, if we put uh, uh, a, uh, a Trump nominee on the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And as Senator Kennedy said in 1991, if you appoint somebody that isn't committed to the Constitution, you're endangering uh, our individual freedoms and our nation, and not just for the next election. We're talking about, you can't, he said, we cannot undo such a mistake in the next election or even in the next generation. And he said that in 1991 at the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearing. He's still there and will probably be there for another quarter century. Indeed. So uh, to, when we're talking about control of the Supreme Court, uh, you've got Ginsburg is 83 years old now. We've got an open seat. Anthony Kennedy is 80, and Stephen Breyer will be 78 on August 15. So you've got four potential appointments that could occur in the next four years to the Supreme Court, and you'll never be able to repair that if Donald Trump becomes president. And I think that uh, Democrats are somewhat, uh, well, at a, at a bit of a disadvantage because for so many years they've been saying, hey, you have to vote for us because of the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court. But now you really do have all of these seats. You already have Scalia's seat that is uh, sitting there vacant, and you may have as many as three more uh, to be appointed by the next president. So this is, you're right, Ernie, this is for real this time. But let me uh, move on because our time is short here. You, so you, you mentioned the libertarian candidate Gary Johnson. You say he's out because of his politics, and I don't want to get into a definition of what libertarianism is and isn't, but I think it's fair to say that uh, it is not... Uh, sort of the progressive um, uh, democratic socialism that uh, Bernie Sanders is uh, is in favor of. But what about Green Party nominee Dr. Jill Stein? She was officially nominated over the weekend in Houston at the Green Party uh, National Convention. She is certainly progressive. She uh, certainly embodies many of the ideals of Bernie Sanders. Uh, why shouldn't uh, people vote for, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders supporters uh, move their support over to Jill Stein, as you see it? On substance, I think Dr. Stein is a fabulous candidate. Um, uh, and I think that she far more embodies uh, the progressive pr- principles, uh, in fact, maybe even more so than Bernie Sanders himself. But there's um, an astute observation that uh, Otto von Bismarck made, and that is politics are the art of the possible. And if Sanders faced a lot of um, uh, obstacles within the Democratic Party, um, Stein faces a lot more. Uh, One of the problems is Sanders appeared on the ballot in all 50 states. Uh, uh, Stein and the Green Party have ballot access. This is as of July 10. I know they're still working at more states, Mm -hmm. but they only had ballot access in 24 states. Uh, where uh, Sanders may have had a constricted debate schedule, Stein's going to probably be excluded from all debates. And you certainly haven't seen anything with regard to Dr. Stein of the kind of uh, massive appearances that we saw with Bernie early Mm. on. Uh, I attended one in in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, There were 28,000 people there, and I I should have brought earplugs because the decibel level was so high. (laughs) But the bottom line is that... Uh, there are just too many obstacles. It's just uh, unlikely. Now, I can understand if progressives in, in safe states like California, where there's no chance of Trump uh, prevailing, 
if they wanted to really send a message that by casting a vote to, for uh, Stein. But uh, I have to defer to um, Noam Chomsky, who I think is one of the, the left's most foremost intellectuals, when he said that if he lived, he would prefer Bernie Sanders, but if he lived in a swing state and it came down to Trump or uh, or Hillary Clinton, he would vote for Hillary just because the alternative is just so awful. Uh, let me get, hit you with a cup. So essentially, you're, if I understand uh, your your case here, you're saying if you're a progressive, if you're a progressive Bernie Sanders supporter, if you live in a, uh, a swing state, you need to uh, get in there and support Hillary Clinton, hold your nose and vote for Hillary Clinton. But if you live, if you have the luxury uh, like you and I do, uh, Ernie, of living out here in California, which we think will go Democratic no matter what, then somebody like you or me, we could go ahead and vote for Jill Stein and give that support to that third party. Uh, am I understanding your your position, your basic position uh, correctly? That is, and let me just add something, because I heard Des bring this up uh, actually during your program yesterday, and that is that it isn't just the court. Uh, with what the climate scientists are saying to us right now, mm-hmm. uh, the very survival of humanity could be threatened by a Trump presidency, because Trump had the gall to suggest that global climate change is a, ch- is a uh, Chinese conspiracy and a hoax. And you've already seen what Republicans have done already. We may not have the time to wait four years to do something about climate change. Let me hit you with a couple of uh, responses uh, that uh, a lot of the folks have uh, a very lively uh, conversation. Let me call it a debate in the comments section at bradblog.com on your piece, Revolution at a Crossroad, uh, Ernie Canning. Uh, one of the loudest voices, uh, our friend Chicago Mel at bradblog.com says the time is long past for clever and incremental strategies. The revolution is here. The revolution is now. Acquiescence to a rigged system hoping for table scraps is not an option. Trump cannot single-handedly make the USA fascist, but the resulting mayhem of his election will finally slap the comatose voters of this country into waking up and regaining their senses. Things actually still need to get worse before they can ever get better. Your response, Ernie Canning. Well, I could have a lot of responses to it, but on that on that last point, um, I believe there, and it's unfortunate we don't have time for the, for the clip here, but I, I thought during uh, Michael Moore's movie Sicko, there was mm-hmm. uh, an interview he did with uh, British MP Tony Bend, and if you get to the point that people are totally de- demoralized, as occurred during the Bush administration, for example, there's the risk that they drop out of the system altogether rather than get active. So I think this idea that we, that we have to risk a fascist state in order to get people to join the revolution is a false one. In fact, if you saw during the and when when you have somebody who is really providing hope, which is what uh, the Sanders revolution provided, you see the people turning out. And the interesting feature that I found, I wrote a piece early on about the new uh, generation gap and the media, is that uh, what I found was that where people, seniors were supporting uh, uh, Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. 85% of seniors uh, get their primary source of news from a corporate-owned uh, television, mm-hmm. whereas the millennial generation, where 83% were voting for Sanders, were getting uh, their primary source of news off the Internet, alternative media, uh, foreign media. 
So I really think it's a matter of, it, you know, first off, it, the, the revolution is not simply about the presidency. You have to target every office. Sure, while you support Hillary, if you have to put her in because you're trying to avoid Trump, at the same time, you're trying to push for Sanders supporters to get in at every office and look at this revolution as a long-term democratic process. And the way you, you keep moving it forward, I think the critical issue and the question that every thinking progressive has to ask themselves is, what is the most effective means for moving the goals of the democratic revolution forward? And if it's a tactical choice as opposed to, I, I realize there are a lot of Sanders supporters that have this just visceral dislike of Hillary Clinton, mm -hmm. but I think you have to look at the big picture and decide what is best for moving the revolution forward. Let me uh, read one of those. I'm speaking with Ernie Canning, a senior advisor to vetsforbernie.org, Veterans for Bernie, very quickly because we're short on time. But let me give uh, one uh, comment also uh, left on your article at bradblog.com. This from David Lasagna. He says, I've been saying for decades that we need to change everything. So Bernie was a dream candidate. I was amazed at how well he did, too, actually having a real shot at it, despite the obviously tilted playing field. I have also said in my life that I would never again support Hillary. But in this situation, I will happily choose her over the dumpster. I think Hillary is a mixed bag. I think she's truly accomplished good things and truly done great harm. Both are true. That she is the subject of so much vitriol from the left is weird and disturbing. Yes, she has supported terrible things, but so have the overwhelming uh, majority of our representatives in both houses from both parties. Uh, I've got just about a minute here uh, at best. Ernie, your response to David Lasagna's thought there. Well, it, it, it's thoughtful, and I think one thing that people should not overlook is the significant difference between uh, when Obama came into office, there were re really very few specific promises he made. In this case, Hillary has, uh, we've accomplished a great deal in terms of the Democratic Party platform, and Hillary has openly committed to it uh, when she gave her Democratic Convention acceptance speech. It's up to us to hold her feet to the fire. I like that. Let's uh, hold some feet to the fire. Ernie Canning, uh, read his article, uh, Revolution at a Crossroad at bradblog.com. And I think you've now also posted it over at vetsforbernie.org. Uh, how are the uh, Vets for Bernie folks uh, uh, taking responding uh, very quickly to your, uh, to your piece, Ernie? Well, I had uh, a really um, fascinating comment from, from one of our, our state directors who also served on the committee and She's basically saying that she intends to hold her nose and vote for Hillary um, because she basically agrees with everything I've said, except that she thinks that I may have been mistaken about describing uh, Jill Stein as the ideal progressive candidate. Oh, that's right. She. This is uh, the woman uh, who pointed out she's a, a, a retired she U.S. A Navy. Doctor and a a retired captain from the Navy. Right, and said Jill Stein, she accepts corporate money. Her foreign policy, while happily progressive, is developed out of complete naivete about the world. Not that I disagree with many of her goals. So we got about three months for uh, voters to figure all of this out. Glad to have this conversation. Glad to have you writing at bradblog.com. And 
Uh, Hope, we'll see you writing there more now that uh, we are moving as the uh, Sanders revolution uh, moves to a new stage, whatever that stage may be. Uh, Ernie Canning, check out his work at bradblog.com and at vetsforbernie.org. And you can even find him on the Twitters at can, that's C-A-N-N, the number four, I-N-G, can for ing for some reason. Hey, Ernie, thanks a bunch, man. We'll be talking to you again soon, I suspect. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Brad. You bet. All right, a quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Not. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. It is not on our side, at least not if you talk to the scientists uh, who I talk to uh, about this planet and about uh, the choices that we've we've got to make. Here was uh, Bill Maher uh, talking, I think this was just last week, uh, talking about this upcoming election and the Democrats, the Bernie Sanders supporters who are trying to figure out what to do. Finally, new rule from now until Election Day, everything else, every issue, every fight, every cause has to take a backseat to defeating Trump. Mm. He's like an infection, you don't fool around with it. Look, I know liberals are feeling pretty good about Hillary's chances this week, but history has taught us that Democrats are pretty good at blowing elections. They sure are. And uh, he goes on to say that uh, this is no time for boutique issues in an Armageddon election. Now, a lot of people might uh, disagree that this is an Armageddon election. Oh, I don't disagree whatsoever, oh. because as you yeah. know, you know, we cover climate change mm-hmm. and the long term impacts that are already baked in are quite serious. And if we're going to have any chance of even coming close to having a reasonable ability to adapt to it, right. it's going to matter a great deal who the next president is because all of the decisions that are going to make a huge difference are going to be made in the next four to eight years. Now, people can hope that there's going to be some kind of, you know, utopia that would come about after people have four years of Trump. And that's suddenly going to make everything better. If, oh, they'll, they'll see how bad it is. But we'll have locked in infrastructure that will uh, cause serious problems and will be very likely unable to come back from. Yeah, locked in uh, a climate collapse, essentially, that we might not be able to undo if we take action four years later or eight years later. Uh, since uh, Ernie Canning had mentioned Noam Chomsky here, I was sent this recently on the Twitters by Mr. Anderson. You can reach me on the Twitters at the Brad blog. Uh, this is the great uh, liberal author and intellectual uh, Noam Chomsky. His comments about Donald Trump, maybe this will move some of the uh, still Sanders supporters out there. Maybe it won't. I don't know. This is from last February during the primaries. 
but I think it's still important to hear from Chomsky today. He was asked about uh, Donald Trump. Trump phenomenon. I was wondering if you could expand a little on that and tell us some of the long-term consequences we will have if Trump is indeed put in office. If Trump is in office? Yes, sir. Well, first we have to ask uh, whether he means what he's saying. If he does, not only we, but the human species is in very deep trouble. I'll come back again to global warming. Uh, that is a hugely significant phenomenon. I mean, we're now in a situation where the warming of the planet is proceeding at a level about maybe a hundred, some claim a thousand times as high as anything in history that can be checked way back in early, pre long pre-human history. Uh, nothing remotely like it. The effects of global warming are already extremely severe. These are things with really lethal consequences. Now, what is the Republican Party doing, Trump in particular? There was, there was a conference in Paris last uh, December, which tried an international conference, which tried to set some uh, policies to uh, prevent the global warming before it destroys us. It made some progress, not anywhere near enough. But the goal was to uh, reach a treaty among the countries of the world where they would commit themselves to these measures, inadequate measures, but at least some, couldn't be implemented. Very simple reason. The Republican Congress would not accept it. So therefore, there was no treaty, just verbal commitments. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, the Republican majority on the Supreme Court uh, sharply violated precedent to block limited measures to reduce uh, uh, the ex extensive pollution from coal plants. Well, that's a message to the world, and that message is heard, saying don't bother doing anything because the United States is not going to allow it because of the Republican Party. Going back to Trump, uh, he simply says it's not happening. So I'm not going to do anything about it. Right now, the spectacle of the Republican primaries is frightening people around the world justifiably. He says all sorts of things. Some of them make sense. Some of them are crazy. It's hard to know what he means. But you know, the US is an extremely powerful state. Uh, to have somebody who's uh, kind of a wild man uh, with his finger on the button that could destroy the world, namely the nuclear weapons button, where it could make decisions of an enormous influence, I think is a very frightening prospect. Frightening indeed. That was Noam Chomsky, uh, liberal intellectual from back in uh, in February. You know, if if Ernie Canning, uh, senior advisor at uh, uh, Vets for Bernie, can't uh, convince you the importance of this election, if uh, we had Sean King, fierce San Sanders supporters on uh, supporter on last week, you know, saying with regret. He would be supporting uh, Hillary Clinton just because uh, the, the menace of Donald Trump at this point is so horrible. Uh, if none of that uh, convinces you as a, as a Sanders supporter, then um, who knows? Maybe Noam Chomsky will. 
Uh, any thoughts on uh, what he had to say there, Des, before we get out? Yeah, just to, to sort of expand on the idea that, remember that, say, for example, you vote for a third-party candidate, you're in a swing state, the swing state then, those electoral votes instead go to Donald Trump. Trump is elected. That means that a Trump administration would be in control of all three branches of government, House and Senate, that's Congress, passing laws that presumably a President Donald Trump would sign, and also putting in Supreme Court justices up to, you know, two to three Mm -hmm. that would then approve those laws as being constitutional, not just rolling back voting rights, but uh, dismissing environmental regulations and climate change regulations, plus those down ballot tickets that Mm -hmm. people, if they don't vote for folks who uphold progressive values and environmental regulations, we also have state level control that reverts to conservatives and right wingers who have no interest whatsoever in preparing the country for climate change. We don't tell people who to vote for here. And I support uh, voters of any stripe, including, by the way, voters of Donald Trump. Uh, But we do hope that people are armed with the facts when they head into that uh, into that voting booth. Uh, and understand what they're doing. I want to hear from a lot of people saying, oh, it just it needs to get worse before it can get better. I'd be okay if Donald Trump was in uh, so that people could really see how bad it is. You know, I guess those are people who think they could survive that. They are privileged enough to be able to survive that. Uh, There are a lot of people who would not survive those four years. And it's amazing to me how people have forgotten uh, the eight years of George W. Bush for Christ's sake. And I don't think he was anywhere near as insane as Donald Trump. In any event, uh, well, we'll be back uh, with you tomorrow, tomorrow talking about this and much more, I suspect, in the days ahead. My thanks again to Ernest A. Canning of Bradblog.com and Vets4Bernie.org. To our producer, Desi Doyen, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it and all the other ones for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com, and I'm on the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.